glad that you are here, excited about this. What a great month to be in church. This is mission month for us. Have you noticed? Have you looked around? Have you seen the flags? All right. We are thrilled and excited about going into all the world and preaching the gospel. And we are thankful and grateful for that. This whole month we'll be talking about it. Of course, today, next week. And, of course, on the, on the third Sunday, we were taking our commitments. We'll be talking more about that as well. Uh, you not only get a chance to pray for missions, you get a chance to give to missions. Isn't that great? Amen? Man, what an opportunity. I'm telling you, back at the back, you'll see what are the missionaries that we're involved with right now and our mission budget for this coming year. And we just want you to be involved with us and want to get excited about this. Uh, it's always an exciting time, and we're thrilled about it. If you've been in the ministry very long, you've probably said something that wasn't true. Tom, have you ever done that? Yeah. And uh, for years, uh, I've uh, just this last few weeks, the Lord kind of convicted me about saying, you know what you said there was kind of stupid. Don't you hate God to tell you things are stupid? Anyway, and then he, called, he also said, he also used my name, Bill. And I wish he'd call me Tom. But, uh, but anyway... But the, the reality of that, you know, I used to say this about missions, and, you know, I've been always excited. And I have a brother that's a missionary in Ireland. He used to have a brother, a, a nephew, missionary in England, a family that's missionaries over the Philippines. So we're really involved with missions. Our, our folks have been all these years, and so it's kind of in our DNA to be involved with missions. But I used to say this, you're either a giver or a goer. You know, that sounds great. It's just not true. I mean, it's, it's, and I, I think I, I'm sure I, what generally happens with preachers, you, you go to meetings and there, there's somebody there that's really charismatic and very gifted and, and he kind of spouts that out and say, man, that, that, Rick, that sounds good. I'm going to use that. And so, uh, so through the years, I get up during the mission times, so you're either a giver or a gore. And, uh, but I found out that's not true. You're both. You just can't give and not go. And you just can't go and not give. I mean, really, in reality, you know, sometimes we would use that kind of thing. And I think what we did, you know, some folks would come to church and they'd say, well, because I gave money monthly to our missions, I don't have to do anything. Let Tom do it. I mean, he's a missionary. That's his job. The only problem is it's our job. Yes, we partner with these guys. But the reality is that, listen, uh, next door neighbor, that's the mission field. I mean, it's, they're everywhere. And so we're not going to stand up here and say, well, if you just give, you'll feel good about yourself. No, I don't want you to feel good about yourself. If you come to our church very long, I, I, I preach a lot of guilt to you. <laughs> it's just a gift. I don't know. <laughs> I just have that gift. And so, but no, I, I really, you know, I want you to get in on this stuff. This is exciting to be involved with the things of the Lord. That today we have a unique, a unique privilege uh, to have the missionary that's with us today, him and his wife, Anna. We're glad that if you've seen her before. She's been here ministered before. But Tom, uh, God is using him to reach probably one of the most neglected mission fields in the world, our youth. I mean, we, you know, and I'm for sending missionaries all around the world, but, you know, we forgot the government took over our schools, guys. And you know what we've done? We've let them do it. And you know what we started believing? We can't get in there. That's not true. It's just not true. You can. And, and so today, we are so honored to have this uh, uh, young man with us. And we're grateful to have him and his very young wife. He's kind of old, but a young wife. 
But folks, why don't, why don't you stand? You both stand. This is, so they know who we're talking about here. There you go. Tom and Anna. Parker. Give them a good hand. And there, there you go. And uh, we are thankful. He's with an organization called Young Life. Uh, Pastor Hardy has been very involved the last several months with them. Uh, it's been such a privilege to be able to partner with people and to be able to carry out the vision together. And uh, we've seen that's happening, and, and we're so excited about it and all. And Tom will tell you a little about what he's doing, but we're thrilled as a ministry that uh, I, I just, it always bothered me that we would send people to, you know, down to Haiti, but not send anyone to Port Charlotte High School. Something's wrong with that. And so we're thankful and grateful for them. So Tom's going to come preach for us. So let's give him a good hand. Thank you, Pastor. Hey, good morning. See, I got a better, where's our music guy at? (laughs) There you are. It worked. Thank you. You warmed him up. Hey, so I'm not real good at standing back here, so I'm going to be all over there in just a minute. But uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about me. Uh, If you didn't read the article, how many of you guys read the bulletin this morning? About half of you. I'll I'll let you know the rest of you what's going on. Uh, My name's Tom Parker, and on the count of three, I need to know who you are, so say your name. One, two, three. That's awesome to meet you. And uh, and we're, we're so excited to be here with you guys this morning. He, here's, Pastor Dale has been a part of our ministry. We love what he does. He comes in and he disciples these guys on Tuesday night. Football, a lot of them are football players. He's working in our middle school at Port Charlotte Middle. He is the team leader there. He is also part of our high school team at Port Charlotte High School. And so he's getting to see what most youth pastors don't get to see. Unfortunately, this is what he gets to see. Teenagers don't go to church. Most youth pastors don't see that. Most youth pastors wait for kids to walk in the door and go, hey, let me tell you about my program. That's what they do. And we're guilty as churches of doing that. I, I, it was funny. I, I, I had a privilege. It was a, it was a privilege. It was not anything that I saw, sought out or even thought I'd even be asked of. This week, I, was, uh, I had some uh, Burnt Sword Presbyterian Church. If you don't know them, they are a church down in, in Punta Gorda. Their average age is 69 years old in the church. They looked at me and said, hey, we are a dying church with lots of money. I said, well, write me a check. Um, so then we were sitting there, and I said, listen. And they, t- they said, what can we do? We want to reach teens. And I told them this. this is, and you'll hear, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. The only way for you to grow your church is not by building a building. It's not by having great programs. It's not by having the most amazing preacher. It's because of relationships. And I know he's like, what? Who? Don't tell them that. <laughs> it's relationships. It's you meeting your neighbor. It's you talking to your neighbor. It's you praying with your neighbor. It's you inviting your neighbor. It's you talking to the person in the store. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. you know, Pastor just said it's not give and go. It's both. Listen, it, here's the crazy thing in Matthew where it talks about that we are to go and make disciples. It's not saying, as you, it's not saying go. It's saying as you are going. It's saying, listen, while you're going to the store, while you're going to work, while you're going to school, while you're doing whatever you're doing, make disciples. Man, make people, let people know about Jesus. I tell teenagers all the time, we're here, on, we're here for two reasons on this earth. Just two. You can write this down if you want. I know some of you got a pen and paper. This isn't hard. You're here to know Jesus and to make him known. Nutshell. I'm done. <laughs> Listen, you, yeah, <laughs> I'm hungry. Listen, you're here to know Jesus and to make him known. You know, unfortunately... A lot of people sit in, in chairs and pews and they go to these buildings that, and they call that the church. By the way, this isn't the church. 
You know, here's the, here's the crazy thing, and Pastor, don't get mad at me. It, and I wish I had something. If this was part of your... Listen, that's a tool. This whole building's a tool. That's all this is. It's not... When you get in your car, I don't get in my car and say, hey, this is Tom. I don't drive my car around and say, this is Tom. I, I get in the car. I am the person. My car is the vehicle. This building, it's your vehicle. It's for you to gather and to worship him and to, and to build your relationship with him and to grow in understanding of him. It's also a place where some people may come off the street where you have invited people to come and they may meet Jesus. But this building, listen, my friend of mine, actually, uh, Craig Killigan, you know Craig? His building, church building, built, uh, burnt down yesterday, the day before. Burnt down. Guess he's going to have to quit, right? No, it's not about the building. It's a tool. You know what's crazy is, is I was thinking about Craig and, and thinking about what happened, and, and he, he had this fire in his church. His, his, his building of where the church meets, he had a fire in there. Some people may say, well, what am I going to do now? Where are we going to, where, we're going to have to cancel services Sunday. Listen, it's where you gather. That's where it's at. Hey, let's all go to Kmart. It's closing down. <laughs> let's go find a corner in there that's halfway depleted and let's go meet. Hey, it's, it's, it's finding five or 10 or 15, 20 houses and saying, hey, we're going to meet here and we're going to have a church house, house church, however you want to call it. We're going to meet here because it's not about the building. Listen, listen. When you, when you start getting sidetracked, things start to happen and, and things start happening wrongly. When this building becomes a place of worship for you to worship because you don't want anything done in here that's wrong. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying that we don't protect, the, protect the, the place in which we are. And I'm saying we don't sl throw sledgehammers at it. I'm getting, I know you're thinking about that. I'm not saying that you, get, you have paintball in here. I know that would, this is a nice little facility, Dale, for that. Um, what I'm saying is this. I'm saying that you guys are the church. You're the body. You're the ones that when you leave these doors, you're entering, some people say, they put above their thing, entering the mission field. Man, when you, when you gather here, you gather at Pastor Bales, you gather at Dale's, you gather at Bill's house, wherever you gather, that's the, the church body coming together. You know, I, in young life, here's the crazy thing. In young life, I don't have a building. So I have to think of ways, creative ways, in order to reach teenagers for Jesus. Guess where I go all the time to meet teens? Where do you think the most, this, I'm going to do a little quiz, pop quiz. Where do you think I can meet the most amount of teens in the least amount of time? Go. Oh, not the park, sorry. It's schools. <laughs> it is the schools. There might be some kids at the park, but I might be looked upon wrongly if I show up at the park. <laughs> hey, kid. Um, but at the school... Yeah, you're still laughing. Some of you are catching that. Um, at the school, man, there's, there's thousands. Do you, know real, do you understand that there are 11,268 teenagers in our eight-mile vicinity of right here? 11,268 teenagers, junior high and high school. How many you have this morning? See... We gotta, we gotta reach them. Listen, if they're not in here, they're out there. And if you're in here, you gotta get a burden for them out there. How many empty seats are in here? I wonder, 
I wonder if you've ever thought about when you come in here and worship on Sunday morning about all of those people that are at the beach, that are fishing, that are sleeping, not necessarily they're on vacation, not necessarily just not here today, but have never been to a church, that don't go to church, that don't know Jesus, that don't understand that God loves them so very much. See, sometimes I think here's what happens. I think we as the church, we get satisfied coming on a Sunday morning and sitting down, and then all of a sudden, we're enjoying the music that we sing, we're enjoying the pastor's message, we're enjoying the things that we give to, we, but here's the deal, we've neglected, when we leave here, until we come back, we've neglected the reason that we're here. See, if you know him, you're to make him known. If you know him, you're to make him known. And I just wonder, and listen, I grew up independent fundamental Baptist. I went to Baptist Ball College in Springfield, Missouri. Okay? Glory. There you go. Glory days are past them right now. They're trying to get those back. But I, I went there. And all I knew, all I knew, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there as a teenager, and, and, and I remember, here's, here's the crazy thing. Wednesday night, there are 17 people at my Wednesday night service when I was a kid, when I was 12 years old. Pastor was up in the front. He had big old stray white hair here. George Rule. I don't know if you know, remember, heard of George Rule. He had those big, long, white hair things. He was about 65 years old. And every, you didn't want to stand too close when he talked because his breath wasn't pleasant. And he had those string, white strings that when they talked, it just stayed there. It was like rubber bands, but it wasn't. It was spit. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, he's just sitting. He taught me. I'm like, oh, man. You come up and pray with me. Wednesday night, kid you not. I'm the only teenager in this whole wide 17-person room. I'm thinking, oh, man, I just got called out. And so, I, okay, sir, I come up. He starts talking to me, and, and by the end of that time, he had, he'd asked me this question. Do you know Jesus? I said, I guess I don't. So he took me into a back room off the corner, opened up Romans Road, and walked me through it. And that night, I asked Jesus in my life. See, but here's the deal. Is that I, I've been here where you are. And, and, and I'm not talking... I'm not talking in a, in a I hope, hopefully, please understand, when I, when I speak, I, I just want God, I, I mean, I, I pray all the time that God speaks through me, that I don't speak, and so if I speak anything, I, I just pray someone throws something hard at me, but make sure to let me know in advance so I can move. Um, but here's the deal. If you're, if you're coming here to sunshine, and you sit in a seat, and you hear the message, and you listen to the music, and you enjoy this, and you come back the next week, and that is, that is all you do with Jesus. You're missing it. We're not supposed to be grave diggers. We're supposed to be grave robbers. I just came up with that, by the way. Yeah. Hey, listen. Listen, if you're just doing that, you're just digging holes for other people to die and go to hell. But we're supposed to be keeping them from that. And we've got to go after them. We want to be grave robbers. We want to keep them from that, from that hell. We want to keep them from that death. Listen, I want to open, open up your books to Matthew. Or, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2. Open up Matthew. Say it again. Thank you. Mark chapter 2. I was in four different, uh, but this story is all over the place. We're going to Mark 2. Hey, so in young life, here's the, here's the awesome thing. Is I get to go where places where students are, right? We identified that as the, everybody high school. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, one more time. I don't think I caught this side. Everybody say high school. One, two, three. Yeah. 
So I get to go into the high schools. I get to see kids where they are. Here, here, the crazy thing with teenagers, man, they, if they know that you're there for them, they're, they're going to say things that you go, Woo! <laughs> please don't say that around me, but they're going to say it. And the more comfortable they are around you, the more that they know that you care about them and are not there to judge them. Because here, here, let's check this out. Yes or no? Is the church, if, if you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus, they're not saved, is it your job to tell them they're wrong? Is it your job to say, hey, you shouldn't act that way? Is it your job telling them you shouldn't cuss? Is it your job telling them they shouldn't sleep around? It's your job to love them and bring them to the feet of Jesus. See, listen, we as a church, here's what we've done. We have become the judge. We often have said, hey, listen, you can't act that way to a non-Christian. Granted, I'm, I, can't, I want you here. I said non-Christian. To another believer, if, if Brother Bale sees me doing something, he best come to me and talk to me. Pull me out. Say, Tom, that's not right. <clears throat> but to a non-believer, to your neighbors that listen to music that you don't like or to, that, that cuss or that do whatever, or you know they're in an adulterous relationship, whatever those things are, if they don't know Jesus, <clears throat> make sure you got your facts straight and make sure you go to them and talk to them about Jesus. Make sure you, li- you walk Jesus around them. Make sure that you are bringing them to the feet of Jesus because as soon as you start to condemn them and judge them, you have placed yourself at a, a much higher authority than you are. In Mark chapter 2, I want you to catch this. It's a story about uh, Jesus hearing this paralytic man. Here, and the, the, this story reminds me so much about, G, about young life. Because here's the deal is, is these people went to extra effort to bring this person to Jesus. That's what we as a church should be doing, by the way. Extra efforts. Pastor, just for the sake of authority, I'll get up here and then I'll make it down again. Hey, uh, would you guys stand with me? We're going to read this together. Mark 2. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he, he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And when he was preaching the word to them, they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the, do- the roof above him, And when they had made an opening, they let him down on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were there, sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can can forgive sins but God alone? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time that we just get to gather together. And I just pray over these next 10, 15 minutes that, that your spirit will work in the midst, that you'll speak through me, that your word will be very clear. Father, maybe if there's, there's somebody here that maybe doesn't know you, maybe today, that, that today will be the day that they start that relationship. Or Father, if there's, if there's some here today that maybe, maybe they're just standing by the door or sitting in the room and just listening, that maybe today that they will find a way to get to the roof. Father, I just thank you for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, you can be seated. <clears throat> so, you know, you got this story. Here, here Jesus came off of this incredible, I mean, he was just in, just previously in a few verses before, he just healed this uh, man with leprosy, okay? And what, what's, what's crazy about a man with leprosy? What are you probably not going to do? Touch him. Man, you're going to stay clear. He's going to have a, a bell or something. He's going to have a noisemaker. He's going to be yelling unclean. 
I mean, this, you want to stay away because what happens if you touch this person? What could happen? You get it. Yeah, I ain't touch you. Um, so anyway, you got, <laughs> you, you got this story where Jesus heals this, this man with leprosy where he touches. I mean, it's an incredible story. If you haven't read it, read it because I want you to, because it kind of leads into where we're going because now Jesus part, departs and however long he departs, some people think it could be hours, days, months. Some, some people could believe it could be longer. Who knows? Anyway, so we see here that Jesus finally comes home. See, by this time, Jesus has already healed many. It says in the previous chapter, and it talks about it in Luke, Luke as well, that Jesus has already healed many people. So in, in a sense, if you want to think of it that way, he, it, please keep in mind, he's like whatever, uh, whatever sports figure, whatever uh, politician that you might think of that is like the politician or the sports figure or the musician that has all of everybody's clout that's looking at him and says, I want to be like that person or I want to know that person or I want to shake that person's hand. That, I mean, that's Jesus right now. I mean, Jesus is, is here walking through these cities and he's healing people and he's touching people and he's, he's, he's bringing them, giving them life back. Because, you know, the crazy thing is, and you know this, if you were uh, somebody that had an ailment, whether you're blind or maybe you didn't have a limb, maybe your arm or maybe you're crippled of some sort, uh, or like the bleeding woman that we see, if you, were, if you were this, where were you not allowed to go? Temple. See, check this out, man. The Jews, this was three times a day for them. This was their life. You got to remember, it's not like this, not like we work a nine to five or an eight to four, and then we have family and then games and activities and all this stuff. Listen, during this time, the majority of these people were poor. So all they did was their, their religion, in a sense. They went and prayed in the morning, they went and prayed in the afternoon, they went and prayed at night. This is, their, this is their community. This is everything. So all of a sudden, when you were crippled, hurt, or you were crippled or blind or whatever that was, you were deemed unfit for the temple. And so here's this man that we're reading the story about this paralytic that whether he was a quadriplegic, he couldn't move at all, or whether he, whatever it was, he was on this, this mat. And probably had never been to the temple, except for maybe outside of it to beg. I mean, his, li his life was not like the others. He didn't have a community. He obviously had four friends, we see. But we don't know how close they were, or if they were really close, or if they were brothers, or whatever. All we know was that this man had never been inside the temple to worship his God. You know, when you, when you look at this, let's go back to verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, some days after, it was reported that he was at home. Now, how many know that Jesus had a, a mansion, right, down here? No. He had no place to lay his head. So many, many theologians say this was Peter's house. They think, hey, this is probably Peter's house, and he, Peter and Andrew, and he was there, and, and he had, this is where he was going to lay down, this is where he was sleeping, this is where he called home for right now. And, and some theologians would be different. Some, some would say this. Some would say that um, this house might have been a little bigger than others. Because most New Testament houses were a place that had one room, usually, usually a house that had a flat roof made of thatch and some, uh, some mud and stuff, and they would replace them when it rains, and they'd get up there and add more or whatever. Um, sometimes what they would do in a little bit bigger houses is they would use some lumber across, and then they would go out and they'd bake these tiles made of mud. They'd put them out, they'd let them bake up, or they'd burn them, and then they'd place these tiles up on the roofs, not like our tiles, but in a similar fashion in that kind of mind, mindset. And then they'd take fresh mud and they'd pour it over or put it on top of there to, to get all the leak areas, all the, to seal it up. And that's kind of, a lot of them would believe probably that Peter's house might have been a little bit bigger 
maybe not a ton bigger. I, I, don't, I don't have dimensions, but if you want to envision maybe from that wall to here to maybe about three rows back, enough here. And, and maybe that's where Peter and, and Andrew and, and family or whatever was there, maybe his mother-in-law. And all of a sudden, these people show up. Because every, every time Jesus went somewhere, people showed up. Every time Jesus went somewhere, people showed up. They want to know who he is. So you have Jesus here at, at, at probably Peter's house, and he's getting ready to, to speak. And here's the crazy thing is that he is, he is preaching the word to them. He's teaching them from the Old Testament. He is talking to them. He's walking them through scripture and, and understanding. But, you know, when Jesus went places, the sinners loved him. The, the prostitutes loved him. Tax collectors loved him. Who hated him? Religious people. Who do you think sitting in this crowd? Religious. Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees. I mean, these are all people that thought they were above the rest of the Jews because, I mean, the Pharisees had these 613 oral laws that they would, that they would keep to themselves and say, hey, listen, if, if you're going to um, really be close to God, you got to keep this law. And then it would form to this law. And then it'd be this law. And so here in the Sadducees, it, well, I'm just going to keep, I'm not going to go those that far, but I'm not even going to believe in, in angels and demons. They were in my, my professor, do you remember Haryu? Haryu used to say, Sadducees? Well, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection or the angels. Or, yeah, so that's an easy way to think of that. They didn't believe it was sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Anyway, so it, this room was full of these people that were religious. You ever been around religious people? You ever been around people that, that thought they knew God better than you? Thought, you how, thought they knew how you should act? What you should be reading? What you should know about God? And not, that's not, I'm not meaning that they should be, they're teaching you, but they're, they're pious. Religious people are. There are people that think that they uh, could dress a certain way and they, they fit in better with God than people that don't dress a certain way. There are people that listen to certain music that they feel that they're closer to God because their, their music is better than other people's music. You know, they, there are people that think that what they read is better than what other people read. Crazy thing is, somehow, Pharisees have found their way in our churches today. And you know why most churches can't, can't move? Because there's religious people in them. Here's, here's what's taking place in Mark chapter 2. Check this out. And many had gathered there so that there were no more room. Luke says in chapter 5, it says there were Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, the scribes of the, of the law. That's who's there. That's who's in this room. So don't, don't go, oh, Tom, well, Mark, it says it, in, I, said, I promise you, it says it in Luke. Just take a look. It, it is people that are there of the law, of the Pharisees, the people that, that, that read the scripture and understood it to there, and they, they deemed worthy to tell others what it meant. So that's who was there. And, there. and they crowded this room up. I mean, Jesus is popular. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, it isn't like this. It is packed shoulder to shoulder. It's, it's, it's us sitting like, are you okay with this? Yeah. It's us sitting this tight together and hanging out and us going, hey, we've got this, right? We're, 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 we're going to listen to this guy. And so all of a sudden, they're packed in and they're sitting on the floor and it's, it's just tight. It's probably hot in there. And so people are crowded in by the door frames. They're sitting in there. They're trying to get a look. You got people going in like this. You got people like this. Anywhere they can get a listen to what Jesus is teaching. 
It says this. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, and these four people, and they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above. Listen, here's what they thought. They said, hey, listen, I can't, we can't get in. They're, they're probably, they probably walked up to people and said, excuse me, sir, we need to get in. Hey, excuse, no, excuse me, we need to get, can we, hey, do you mind if we get in? Hey, please, hey, you're religious. You understand. We're just trying to really meet Jesus. We want this, our friend to meet him. Can, can you move, please? Hey, sir, you, you, you're a Pharisee. Can you move, please, so we can get in? Because you are a, a, a scribe. You know the law. Hey, hey sir, you're, you know. You, you've heard this Jesus. You've been talking about him. Can you get in? We want, to meet, we want our friend to meet him. <laughs> you know that, oh, just, I'll, I'll save that one for later. Okay, so keep going. <laughs> and, when, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, check this out. Who was in the way of this man meeting Jesus? At that time, you might call them the church. At that time, you might call them the church. The church was in the way. See, we do really good at packing our own places, doing our own thing, having our own agenda, and we miss the world outside of our walls. So anyway, these four friends, they weren't, they weren't going to give up. Come on, please. Listen, you're not going to let us in? Man, this guy needs to meet Jesus. And so in these days, these, the roofs were usually flat so that they could go up and, and on the, during the day when it was hot, maybe at night or whatever inside, they go up to sleep. Or during the day, they can go up to rest when there's shade. So anyway, there's always some kind of stairway, either a stairway that was built or a ladder back there so that they could replace the, the roof stuff. Because obviously, if it leaks, you're going to do what? Fix it. <laughs> so um, they, they would go up, and these guys said, hey, listen, I don't know. Maybe they got together and said, I said, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to figure out a way to get Billy up in there to see Jesus. And we, these, these are church people aren't going to let us in. So we got to figure this out. What do you, that's a good idea. Let's go check out the roof. That's a good idea. And so they devised this plan. And they get, the four of them got together and they took this paralytic, however they managed to get him up there. It's probably one story. Most of them were. They get him up, they lay him on the roof. They get up there and all of a sudden, all these church people are inside and they're listening to Jesus talk about the word and the little crumbs of mud falling on them. Like this. And then all of a sudden, they start seeing a little bit of light. They start seeing this light come form through. A few of them start going, what's going on? What's going on? And Jesus is still speaking. Boom. They pull out this big clay thing, set it aside. And, they, and one guy looks in and goes, yeah, he's right here, guys. And they start tearing off the rest of them. And by this time, you can tell. I mean, Jesus is probably still speaking. And all of a sudden, these, these Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, they're looking and they're going, what's going on? They're paying attention up here, and all of a sudden, Jesus probably does this. All of a sudden, they lower this man down. See, the story, we, we sometimes miss it. We sometimes miss what's taking place here. See, the church got in the way of what God wanted to do. And he was using four friends to do it. Check this out. Watch what happens here. And when they, when they had removed the roof above him, and when, they had saw, and when they had made an opening, they let him down on this bed on the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith did Jesus see? 
saw his friend's face. Here's, here's, what's, here's what's crazy. We're, I'll, I'll read it for you so you can see it. When he had saw their faith, and jump down just a little bit, um, when it says in verse 8, and in Jesus' immediacy, perceiving in their spirit, he knew what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were thinking, right? So if he knew what they were thinking, is it possible he knew the heart and what the paralytic couldn't say what he was thinking? Is it possible he knew the heart of the four men above? Is it possible he knew what they were thinking? Is it possible he understood why they were there without them even saying anything? So it says this, when they removed the, uh, verse 4, when they moved, removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let him down on the bed, and the paralytic lay, and Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so let's just let's think about this for a moment. All of a sudden, you're a paralytic. You have, you have no use to your arms and legs, any muscles in your body, and four of your friends just brought you in, and you get lowered down. Some, well, maybe those scribes are sitting there. Here, here's the crazy thing, is they were more concerned about the words that Jesus used then than what he could have done when he's been doing around town. See, he said, your sins are forgiven, Right? See, what has Jesus been doing around town? Healing. Blind people get to see. Lame people get to run again. People that were injured or hurt or whatever Jesus touches or talks to or heals or spits in mud and, and puts them on their eyes, all of a sudden they're healed. See, these, these Pharisees, these scribes, they were looking for something that Jesus would do that they could condemn him of. See, there were three forms of heresy in this time, in this, in this sense. There was, they were speaking evil against the law of God, which um, some of the apostles at some point were, were uh, condemned of but found not guilty of. Then you had speaking against or evil against God, which is punishable by death. And then you had putting yourself to the same level of God, claiming yourself as God. See, because here's the deal. Who can forgive sins? God. And who else? That's it, God. But the answer is true. It's just God. And so all of a sudden, Jesus is in this room. This man's lowered down. Probably four friends. I I would say they, they at least thought this man would be healed, right? How did they think that? Who knows? But I do know this. Jesus perceived his heart. He knew his mind. He knew what he wanted. Who's to say this man, on laying on this, this paralytic, laying on this mat, wasn't saying, I want to be forgiven. Because remember, what separated him from the temple? His sin, which, which in their time, they believed that his symptoms was a result of what? Sins, either his parents or himself. And so maybe in his mind, his sins is what kept him on the mat. In reality, Jesus is saying, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, man, you want to talk about a fire in the church. Jesus spoke these words, and it created an uproar. The scribes and the Pharisees were all sitting there and murmuring and thinking in their heart, who is this man to create blasphemy? Who is this man that thinks he can forgive sins? Check this out. Why does this man speak this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they had that thus questioned him about themselves, he says, 
Why do you question that these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and take your bed and walk? See, here's the deal. It's Jesus, it's, he's okay. He didn't rebuke that. He didn't say, uh, guys, listen, I can forgive too. He didn't say that. Why did, he, why did Jesus not say, I can do that too? Because he was God. <laughs> he is the Father. He is equal with the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are one. And so what he's doing, he's letting the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees know, that's me, hello. You're right, only God can forgive sins. Hey, you got it. Hey, you guys win the prize today. God can forgive sins. And he says to him, listen, hey, what's easier for me? To tell the man that his sins are forgiven? You can't see his heart. Or for me to tell him to get up and walk? Come on. Which is easy. It's, of course it's easier for me to tell him because you can't see his heart. It says here in the next verse, it says, so Jesus said to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Hey, church, check this out. I only got two, three minutes left to close this thing. So I got, I got to swing hard here. Listen, we have got to be a people not sitting in a room keeping the world out. We have got to be a people finding ways to open the rooftops to get people in to see Jesus. We have got to rethink how we do church. We've got to rethink it. We can't continue to do what we do because we'll keep reaching the people we're reaching. Pastor Bales, just out of curiosity, and if you don't mind, I hope, I hope this isn't offensive. I know some pastors can. I don't think you'll take it this way. How many people last year came to know Jesus as a result of this ministry? 32 people. Let's just, let's just, we'll just, just because, we'll just say 50, because my math is a lot easier. <laughs> so 50 people, as a result of this ministry, came to know Jesus. That is, that's awesome. That is incredible. I want you to know that that means that there are 32 or 50 more seats in this room that are filled as a result of that. Probably more, because our, our ministry doesn't end with the person that just receives Christ. Our ministry is to that family, Right? But how many just high schoolers and middle schoolers did I say were in Charlotte County? 11,268. So there are 11,218 students still in this county that, if, that more than likely need Jesus and their families. There are 100,000 people that are probably not in church this morning. Are you going to be a church that crowds in, does your thing, that doesn't invite, that doesn't include, that you become the church that sits down and says, hey, we want to listen to Pastor Bales. Hey, we want our music. Hey, we want our style. Hey, we want our stuff. Or are you going to, are you going to be the person that finds a way to tear off a roof and get people to Jesus? Man, listen, I've been a part of where we sit every, every Sunday. I realize that, it is, that there are age, there are handicaps, there are things in our lives that keep us from saying, I'm going to be that person. But let me tell you this. 
age, color. There's no discrimination. Eight, listen, I, I was talking to a guy the other day, and I, he, said, he said, hey, how can we reach teenagers for Jesus? I said, well, become a volunteer. He says, I'm 86 years old. I said, awesome. I said, because there are teenagers in this world that don't have someone that, that loves them like an 86-year-old could. They don't have somebody that will come alongside them and call them and ask them how they're doing. They don't understand um, that there are, there are uses. It doesn't matter if you are 20 or 95. Anybody over 95 in here? Good, so I caught everybody. Just make sure. There is no excuse for anyone in this room to walk out that door and say, hey, that was good. That was good. Glad that guy came. Part of the mission team. Awesome. Let's, next week, we'll listen to the next guy. Here's what should happen. And this isn't me, but you should walk out of this room today knowing that you are entering the mission field. Because, listen, it's not about you giving to me or giving to any of the missionary for us to go. It's for us to go. It's for you and me to partner that may not be with young life, but you and me to partner in the kingdom of God to reach people for him. We are to know him and to make him known. Listen, I need you. You need me. We need each other. We've got to figure out ways to partner with other ministries in town. We've got to figure out ways. Listen, it is great to send, I don't know how much you send. I'm just throwing numbers. It is great to send $50,000 a year over, overseas. That's awesome. But do you realize in the Southern Baptist world that um, there are, we are the third nation as far as missionaries that come to us, we're the third largest nation of Baptist missionaries from other countries that come here. The United States is. Why? Why are we the third highest? Because people are dying and going to hell because we, the church, are not moving. Because we're not getting out of our seats, because we are comfortable, we're standing by the doors, we are keeping people from entering the room where Jesus is. And I'm not talking about this building. Because, let's just be honest, more people are going to be reached outside these walls than will ever be reached inside the walls. You hear that? More people will be reached outside these walls than will ever be reached inside the walls. And if all you do is invite, if all you do is tell people about coming here to listen to Pastor Bales, I promise we are going to fail. We can't do it. It's got to be you living with your word, opening your Bible, and reading it, spending time with him, knowing him. You are to know him. You are to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you don't have that relationship, Man, get it, because you won't be able to do the second part of it. You won't be able to make him known until you know him. You can't do it. You can't tell others about something you don't have. You've got to make him known. We have got to get in the word. We have got to walk with him. We have got to be, we've got to be out in the community. We've got to let other people know. Listen, it is easy. Pastor Bales, I'm almost done, I promise. It is easy It is easy to sit in the pew, in the chair. It's easy. But you got to get off it. you got to get off it and get up a ladder and start tearing apart a roof because you've got to find a way in your life, however that looks, whether that is, whether that is you're in a part of a retirement community or whether you're in high school or whether you are uh, home, whatever it is, you've got to find a way to get people to Jesus. Father, I just thank you for this day. And Father, I pray for those that, that may not know you right now. Father, maybe there's someone in this room that maybe all their life they've come to church, or maybe this is their first time, and they don't understand what a, what a personal relationship is with you. God, would you this morning, I know that your spirit is at work. It's not me. It has nothing to do with me. 
It's not Pastor Bales and not Pastor Dale. It is you. We know that you draw people to you, that you are at work in their life. And Father, we pray right now that if there's someone here today that needs to begin that relationship with you, I pray that right now, Father, they, that you will draw them. Move them. Father, maybe there's someone here today that has been sitting on the chair and they realize that they've got to get up. They've got to get up. Because the church is supposed to be on fire. The church is supposed to be figuring out ways to, to, to lift roofs off, to open doors, to get people to meet Jesus. Father, I, I, I just asked this morning that you do an incredible work. And whether, I, I know this, I know it's not the response at the front, it's the response in the heart. It's not the response of who comes down, but it's the response of someone that making a decision in their heart, either to know you or to make you known. Father, I ask now in this few moments, however Pastor Bale ends this, that, that God, that you will take the opportunity to move. Father, that you will allow people to know you and then make you known, not just here, but in all of Charlotte County. In Jesus' name.